This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the July 31st episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I am your host, Mike Randall. Please follow me on Twitter at RandallRan, and today we are talking to one of my favorite people in the industry, Ian Harditz from Pro Football Focus. He's a rapid riser in the fantasy football industry. He's worked at Action Network, Fantasy Labs, Roto World, and now PFF. He is the new host of the PFF Fantasy Podcast, which has gotten off to an amazing start. Ian, as you covered from ADP to breaking down the running back depth charts to even the backup QB rankings, he does amazing work year in and year out. Always ready to helicopter in each and every week. Follow him on Twitter at Ian Harditz. Ian, my man, great to have you back on the bag. What's good? Yeah, thanks for having me on again, dude. I think the uh, last time we talked, it was something like week two or three of the season, and I think our big takeaway was like, wow, this Vikings offense is run first. We should uh, probably look at getting rid of Diggs and Thielen while we can still sell high on them. So (laughs) hopefully we can come up with a similarly effective uh, method this time around. Yeah, seriously. You're, I mean, you're great at the predictions, man, and, and you've done an outstanding job, so much knowledge, and, and you transmit it so that every level of fantasy football fan can understand from basic up to the expert. So really looking forward to it. And let's get right into it this week with a game of I never. So basically, I want your opinion on whether it's a concern that each of these players I'm going to mention have never done something in their career. So basically, is the quote-unquote trend worth considering or not as we move into the 2020 season? I'm going to start off with Arizona's Kenyon Drake. He's never rushed Ian for more than 817 yards in his four-year NFL career. What do you think about that? No, I'm not worried about it. I mean, it's like, all right, we want to ping him for this, but, you know, with Derrick Henry or some of these other guys, we're talking about, oh, you know, don't they have a bunch of wear and tear after being the featured guy? I mean, which one is it, people? But I'm focused on Drake's most recent, most relevant split, and that was during weeks 9 through 17 once he joined the Cardinals. PPR, RB4, during that stretch, played between 64 and 96% of the offensive snaps during that whole time. I mean, look, even when it wasn't Drake, when it was David Johnson or even Chase Edmonds for that one game. 
whoever was Cliff Kingsbury RB1 last season got a true three-down workload. I mean, if they had added any other competition other than just seventh-rounder Eno Benjamin, maybe I'd reconsider. But, man, this, this looks a lot like Kenyon Drake's you know, solo backfield moving into 2020. It certainly does, and and I heard you talking about this. You had Graham Barfield on, and a lot of times podcasts have mentioned this, zero RB, right? So, I mean, it's pretty obvious you go early, you're getting your McCaffrey, your Saquon Barkley, Kamara, etc. But if you're looking for a running back, Ian, at the end of the first round, I think you're hard-pressed to find someone who projects to have as much impact as Kenyon Drake. Yeah, and it's not that the other guys being drafted in that range like aren't good or anything like that. I mean, Derrick Henry, Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders, Eckler, Chubb, Jacobs, Aaron Jones. There's a you know scenario where all those guys outscored Drake, but you look at them and most of these guys, you know, Mixon, Henry, Chubb, Jacobs, Jones, don't have the pass down work, even if they probably should. Then you have your Sanders and Ecklers of the world where they're probably going to lose more early down work than we would hope for. So while Drake – you know, we have questions about him. That's why he's not a t- in the top five back group. I think his ceiling compared to these other guys is as a true three-down workhorse, and you can't really say that for these other dudes. Next part here of I've never, Bruce Arians has never had a productive fantasy tight end. Now he has Rob Gronkowski. Now here, when Rob Gronkowski was in New England, I used the road of his team splits app. His impact is as large as anyone. In the 98 games he played from 2011 to 2018, he played 98, he missed 30 with the Patriots. In those games, they averaged four more points per game. They averaged a half more touchdown per game, and they averaged over 30 passing yards more per game. So I understand different team, but Rob Gronkowski is an impact tight end. The question is, with him now coming out of retirement and being with Arians, who, quote, doesn't feature the tight end, the O.J. Howard truthers are still mad about that. Are you concerned about Gronk going to Tampa Bay? It's funny how quickly we've gone from, you know, he's never had a tight end like O.J. Howard to now he's never had a tight end quite like Gronk, which I think were both true statements when we're making it. But I think we're going to see a little bit of a new offense from Bruce Aarons. I mean, he's already switched his, you know, lifelong moniker of no risk and no biscuit to can't go broke making a profit. So I don't know what TB12, you know, what Kool-Aid he's been slipping Arians, but it seems like they're pretty down to uh, switch things up and kind of run the Brady offense, whatever that's going to look like. Honestly, the big difference is just draft position right now. I mean, to get O.J. Howard last season, he was going off the borders like the tight end four, tight end five. I mean, Gronk's going like the tight end 11 right now, so it's much easier stomach. He's got the, uh, uh, you know, I-, I would argue even higher, uh, probably not higher upside than O.J., but similar upside. We're talking about the best tight end of all time. So it's, uh, it-, it would make sense to me that someone like Gronk, whose body, you know, appeared to be falling apart in 2018, while he's not, you know, exactly an elder just yet, it might make sense that a year away from the game would help him, uh, you know, get get back to 100%, get back to being that beast we saw for, you know, the past decade being Brady's number one receiver. So with the uh, reduced draft capital, I'm fine taking a shot on Gronk in 2020. Yeah, that, that's the thing. You can take a shot on it, and he's still available very late in draft. So I think that's a key issue also. So that's the question. Got to see how it's going to turn out. Now, the next one is going to be our FFPC stat attack of the show, and it's Stephon Diggs. Prior to last season, Diggs had never averaged over 8.9 yards per target. It was as low as 6.9 in 2018. 
Last season, he was at 12 yards per target. Is this a concern as he moves to catching passes from the liberally erratic Josh Allen? I'm high on Josh Allen this year, but Diggs can be a little feast or famine. We remember, Ian, that fantasy football is a weekly game. So if you end up taking Stephon Diggs and he has two or three bonks in a row, that's going to be a concern. Are you now questioning with his move how effective he can be on a weekly basis out there in Buffalo? I mean, it doesn't help Kirk Cousins last year, even though he didn't have the volume. I mean, it was the best season of his career efficiency-wise. I mean, that's why Diggs was able to do what he did on only 94 targets. I mean, he was the premier deep ball catcher in the league last season. I mean, 12 yards per target was absolutely absurd. I believe only A.J. Brown had more, and he had to break some records in his own rights in terms of what rookies were capable of doing to get there. So, Josh Allen is pretty much like the Russell Westbrook of throwing the deep ball. He's not good at he's not good at it, but he continues to do it at a high, you know, volume anyway, just like Russ does with his three point shots. What so a great comparison. That's a great comparison. <laughs> It's one of those things where we'll see if he improves it. You know, adding such a great field stretcher like Diggs would feasibly help Allen. We saw the leap Allen made last year after they added Smokey Brown and Cole Beasley. Ultimately, I do find myself buying a little bit more than I was earlier in the offseason because you look at these wide receiver ones that are going in this wide receiver 20 range, and it's like DJ Chark, T.Y. Hilton, Stephon Diggs, and I just think most of the concerns we have for them are already kind of being priced into into them. That's why they are available this late. That's why they are available this cheap. So Diggs, yeah, you know, having it'd be great if he had the future wide receiver one role with you know a, a little bit more accurate quarterback. But no, I mean John Brown was the fancy wide receiver twenty last season. I think we most of us would agree that as good as Smokey is, Diggs is better. So yeah, I think the fact that he's going later in the wide receiver twenty right now, it's a good buy opportunity. Yeah, Diggs Yards per target, folks. That's our FFPC stat attack of the show. FFPC, home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry. Dynasty Best Bowl, of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. So to learn more or you want to join a league, go to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. And, of course, we have a ton of great tools on the road of site designed specifically for FFPC domination. So check them out. Last one, Ian, here. I never, from Rich Rebar at Sharp Football Analysis, Derrick Henry has never been even a weekly PPR RB2 in a game that he did not score a touchdown. Now, when you get the ball a million times and you score a million touchdowns, that may not matter. But some people are concerned here with the Tennessee regression in the offense. Going to have to skew back maybe a little bit more passing-wise. What do you think here with Derrick Henry, given that he's being drafted really mid to late first round? Pretty dope stat from Rich for sure. But yeah, I do think this kind of just lines up with you know, more of his 2016 through the first three months of 2018 usage when the guy just wasn't even, he was hopeful to get double digit touches per game. It wasn't like uh, last season where, you know, I think we kind of overrate the game script dependent part of Henry's game. I mean, he had at least 16 touches in every single game last season, you know, regardless of what was going on. Obviously it's a little easier for them when they can play ahead and we will see those monster performances, but he scored in 12 to 16 games last season. It's fair to expect some sort of regression uh, from the Titans offense. And, you know, that's why I'm riding my guy, AJ Brown, thinking they'll pass more. Uh, It's a fair concern. That's why Derrick Henry, you know, isn't in those top five or in my opinion, top six backs. But if you look at what's happening compared to last year, Derrickson Evans, I mean, he's not guaranteed to take that entire Deion Lewis pass down role. He probably will. But it wouldn't be all that shocking if Henry does get some more pass game work. I mean, the dude's earned it. He's like sixth, I believe, among all running backs with at least 50 targets over the past three years in yards per target. 
Now, I know he's not Eckler. I know he's not McCaffrey, but just getting that dude in the open field and some of these screens, it's been a recipe for success. And I don't think anyone's pounding the door, you know, for five-plus targets per game. But he's only at 1.2 last year. We can do a little bit more to get the big dog in the open field. I'm still happily buying Derrick Henry as an RB1, despite, you know, his lack of a receiving role. You and Graham Barfield had a great conversation about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and how he can really shine, obviously, with Andy Reid in Kansas City. But I'm curious, Ian, who is the second-best fantasy wide-receiving option in the Chiefs team there? Travis Kelsey, of course, Tyreek Hill. But after that, given the, the high upside in this offense, everybody remembers Sammy Watkins at the first game of the year last year, banging out the three touchdowns, having the huge game, but then he kind of disappeared. So is it him? Is it Miko Hartman year? Do you have any love for Demarcus Robinson? What are you thinking here in Kansas City after Tyreek Hill on the receiving end? Yeah, Sammy had that bonkers week one, and then Robinson kind of did the same thing. He had that huge game against the Raiders, Raiders and then he yeah. was pretty much nothing the rest of the year as well. So, yeah, I'm going with Miko Hartman here. You know, they've already talked about this offseason. Uh, I forget the dude's name, but they brought in some undrafted guy to be the punt returner because they want Miko to be able to focus more on offense. And it'd be so much easier if both Watkins and Robinson, you know, weren't back and we could more easily slot uh, Miko into starting three wide receiver sets. But I think – just the talent this dude showed. I mean, it'd be silly for the Chiefs not to get him on the field as much as possible. I mean, if you just want to take away the usual 50-target qualifier and, you know, move move it down to Meekles, I believe he had 43 last year, we're literally talking about the most efficient rookie receiver the league has seen uh, since targets began being tracked in terms of yards per target. So, you know, I, I was one of the people that when they drafted this guy and you know, Tyreek got that week one injury and we're talking about, even before them, we just didn't even know if Tyreek was going to play because it was off the field stuff. I mean, people were acting like Miko could be this one-for-one replacement for Tyreek Hill, and I always kind of scoffed at that. But good God, man, you see these dudes on the field, and Miko might be the only dude in the league that can really challenge Tyreek to a straight-line race. So truly is special talent on the field. I think they'll find ways to get him on there. And, you know, even if he's not going to have the snaps, I think this is a situation where the targets should at least be competing with Watkins and Robinson. And with Miko being the better player, Give me all the Miko Hardman in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. He could really make the impact here. You saw he touches the ball and he's gone. I mean, the other guys have had their chance, but if you're just looking at value there, I, I agree with you on Hartman. Hey, everyone. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect, all at a price you'd never believe. They have over a 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction. But every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer the bid or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code ROTOVIZ or DealDash.FM slash ROTOVIZ. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash ROTOVIZ. Before we get back to the show, just a quick word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Sports are coming back, thank goodness, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. 
Check out the odds, the futures, and props to bet on all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it will be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. BetOnline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Another one here, and this is coming, Ian, from I was in the Flex Leagues. We're drafting again on Friday. Last year, I went Odell Beckham very early, disappointed. So I think this is a big question because the Browns seem to be going towards a more of a rushing attack here. Odell Beckham, if you look at the games that he had prior to 2017 compared to the games that he's had after, his PPR points per game, I'm using the road of his game splits app, has dropped from 21 PPR points before 2017 to 15. He's lost about 20 yards per game in receiving yardage, and his touchdowns have dropped in half. So where are you on Odell Beckham? I feel like he's polarizing here. Some people like the big bounce back, and some people are getting off the train. Where are you on Beckham with the Browns this year? Yeah, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm looking at my redraft ranks right now, and I have my wide receiver 14, one spot behind Juju, one spot ahead of uh, DJ Moore. So I'm not, you know, soft on the guy, but it's just hard to see this passing game getting all that much volume. And, you know, I'm, I saw we have a Baker Mayfield question later, but it's like both OBJ, Baker, Hooper, Jarvis, whoever it's going to be, they're going to have to just become way more efficient than they were last year because I think we're looking at what's going to be a run-first offense. And, you know, we go back to – that Stefan Diggs only having 94 targets last season. I mean, that play caller, Kevin Stefanski, is now the Browns head coach. And you can say that Minnesota offense was way more influenced by Gary Kubiak than Stefanski, which, you know, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're right there. But I don't know, man. You, you just look at this Browns team. I, I see Chubb getting a ton. You know, they added the uh, extra lineman, which is great. Baker's going to have more time. I, I see the appeal for a post-hype bounce back from the team, but just for the passing game in general – I think the volume isn't quite going to be there. And we're just expecting a massive leap back to relevance from Baker for OBJ here. I mean, OBJ and Mike Evans each had a league high 27 incompletions that were charged to their QB last season. I mean, I'm, OBJ did flash some of that, you know, great ability we saw in past years. But, you know, playing through the sports hernia issue obviously didn't help matters. But I think the biggest issue for him was just Baker being a bottom five quarterback. And that's not obviously not what we were expecting going into the season at all. So, I think OBJ, he's going to need to get that all-world efficiency back because I don't think he's going to have the volume, to, get to his usual you know, high-end volume to go with it. Jake Seeley came on the pod a couple weeks ago and has started a new weekly question. We went disturbingly deep on breakfast cereals. Uh, if you indulge in cereal, where are you headed and what was your favorite cereal as a kid? These days I'm Honey Nut Cheerios, but I'm not really a big breakfast guy. Usually all I really have is a uh, – Two little Debbie oatmeal cream pies because that's what Nick nice. Saban apparently has every morning for breakfast. So I'm just trying to be like Nick there. But uh, uh, back in the day, I was Cocoa Puffs and Cookie Crisp, just anything chocolate, man. I like to keep it keep it simple, but keep it tasty. God, your personality with Saban is like night and day, but imitation is the highest form <laughs> of flattery. Absolutely. Question here from a Steelers fan. Where do you fall on Big Ben? Three tendons in his elbow, reattached, 38 years old. They have no backup QB of consequence here, but players like Juju Smith-Schuster and James Conner, of course, could be in line for a huge touch share. How do you project the Steelers' offense in general, Ian? And then what do you do with Big Ben? Do you just assume he's going to play 16? How do you address that there at the ripe old age of 38? Yeah, you mentioned coming into the podcast, I did an article on backup QBs. When I got to Pittsburgh, it was like, are you kidding me? We really saw 
we all saw what happened last year, and they didn't do anything to add another dude. That's exactly, I mean, Ian, that's exactly what Rich Rebar said when he came on. Same thing. Oh, my God, man. Like, it is just brutal. So, Juju, obviously, I mean, Big Ben being out is going to tank that. But if Big Ben, if 38-year-old Big Ben can stay healthy, I mean, we know the ceilings there. Both Juju and A.B. had over 160 targets in fantasy wide receiver one production in 2018 i think it could be juju and deontay this time around you know maybe to a slightly lesser extent but uh chase claypool seems like the james washington replacement i think the uh, tight end jokes are uh not totally accurate we'll see what's what maybe i'll be wrong on that but i just think washington and big ben haven't really shown that chemistry it seems like juju and deontay's time to shine as for connor he's the interesting one i mean i, I would definitely rate connor higher than juju in terms of who i'm kind of trying to get on the squad this year because connor he was the RB9 in 2019 before the injury. So even with the backup situation, this dude was still making a lot of plays. That defense is so, so, so good at all three levels. I mean, I, I, even last year, them going to 8-8, eight and eight, I mean, that was probably outperforming what they were capable of. But even with no games from Big Ben this year, I mean, I don't think this would be like a 3-13 and 13 team. I think they'd be like an annoyingly competitive 7-9 seven, nine, seven uh, squad or something like that. So, yeah, low ceiling, but you look at this Steelers team, if they can get Big Ben there, and they are as complete as anyone out there. I mean, I would argue only maybe the Bills uh, and, and Ravens and Chiefs are the only squads I put in, ahead of them in the AFC just in terms of, you know, position group by position group uh, completeness and overall skill level. So, yeah. Low floor. I mean, it's going to go one or two ways for the Steelers this year, but I think their ceiling and their potential range of outcomes is much higher than most teams. What on earth is the fascination with Hayden Hurst? You know, what I find interesting is people talk about how talented Austin Hooper was, right? And he's coming over to Cleveland. Now Njoku wants a trade. Hayden Hurst, 26, almost 27 years old, but 4.67, 40-yard dash, 80th percentile coming out of college but hasn't done much since arriving there in Baltimore and was certainly passed and usurped by Mark Andrews. He's going down to Atlanta. What are your thoughts on Hurst here? Because he's becoming a very popular sort of after the first four guys upside possible top five tight end this year in that Atlanta offense. But I'm not so sure. What do you think? I went to you, man. I was fine when he was like in the tight end 15 range or right. something like right. that or you know, still in the tight end 20 range at the initial trade. But tight end nine? Right now on ADP, are you kidding me? This dude has caught more than three passes in the game once. I mean, it wouldn't be shocking if this season ends and he's behind Julio Ridley, Russell Gage, and Todd Gurley in the pecking order. I understand Hooper had all that production last year, but, you know, a lot of that came with them trailing. It was kind of fluky to me. I think Hooper's a very good tight end and everything, but the idea that he was ever just this game-breaker, even though he was putting out the fantasy points, I just, it just didn't seem reflective of the reality we're seeing. So much of it came when they were trailing. It's not like the Falcons were going into Sunday saying, you know, hey, Julio, hey, Calvin, you guys sit this one out. We're going to feature Austin Hooper. So I don't think we're going to see anything resembling that same sort of usage that Hooper had in the first half of last season. Hurst is fine. Like you said, you know, he's kind of got some speed to him. He made some big plays last year. But he's also not, you know, an athletic freak in that range like a Jonu Smith or some of these, you know, souped-up, athlete tight ends that we're used to seeing at the position these days so at this point it just seems like we're buying him at his ceiling if he creeps back down between now and you know draft true draft season here in a couple of weeks I think it's unlikely but maybe then I'd be more down and take a shot on him but yeah you just drafting him at his ceiling right now give me the Blake Jarwins the Chris Herndons of the of the, of the world you know three four rounds later over uh, Hurst right now lockstep with you there 
Question from Kevin in Wanakew. Love the mailbag. Look forward to it every week. Am I missing something with Chris Carson? Back-to-back years, he was fifth in the league in rushing yards. He's available as a late RB2 in FFPC Best Ball Leagues. He's actually being drafted after Le'Veon Bell and right before David Montgomery. His coach likes him, unlike Bell, in a run-first offense and will not have to deal with Rashad Penny probably till midseason. Too good to be true? I definitely have Carson ranked ahead of uh, Carson one spot ahead of David Montgomery. So it's one of these situations where we'll see. I mean, Rashad Penny, he was looking pretty good in, you know, the Twitter video workout of the week thing going on uh, recently. So I'm not sure if he is going to be out uh, for a bit. And even if he is out to start the season, they brought in Hyde. And unfortunately, we see Carlos Hyde every single year seemingly, you know, hurt the fantasy value of whatever other talented running backs happen to be on his squad. So, we could see a fairly evenly split to RB committee. That's what happened last year when Penny and Carson were healthy together later in the season. You know, I, I think if Penny's healthy, we're going to see that. And if he's not, it could even be Carson Hyde. So I'm not like selling Carson hardcore. He could be fine this year and he should be the favorite in this backfield lead the team in touches. But man, after those top 13, 14 RBs this year, I just find myself taking the baller uh, wide receivers instead. Dalvin Cook. Uh, of course, he reported, but they're talking about a holdout. Running backs like Mixon, Cook, even Kamara to a certain extent, although we haven't heard it, people are wondering about holdout concerns. So with Cook, do you think that's an issue? Does that factor in? And is there any hope for the Mike Boone truthers out there with him being behind Alexander Madison? <laughs> yeah, the, the no preseason hurts the most for Mike Boone and Swag Kelly truthers like myself. Now, I miss watching those dudes play but no I'm, I'm not worried about this Dalvin Cook thing I mean his agent certainly isn't isn't making things easy with some of these you know him leaking statements after Shefty and whoever is saying that Cook's good to go so there's a little bit of concern I guess but nah I mean, he's like you said he's already getting tested I stayed pretty adamant from day one that we shouldn't worry about this due to the new CBA and we seem to kind of be seeing that uh, already with these players uh, the questionable players all seemingly reporting uh, to camp right when they need to be and just the history of the Vikings having uh, these types of situations play out as well. They haven't historically signed their players right when the grumblings begin, but almost always they have gotten these you know, longer-term deals done before the season starts. So wouldn't be shocked at all if Cook has a new contract in place before September. And they need him, man. Gary Kubiak's RB1. We know it's always been a bit of a fancy cheat code. I'm, I'm not afraid. I'm still firing up Dalvin Cook as a top five RB. And, man, for the Mike Boone shooters, you guys <laughs> – you're a Cook and Madison injury away from having a two RB committee with Boone and Amir Abdullah. So I hope it works <laughs> out for you guys, but I wouldn't really bet on it, bro. There's Adam Levitan says team preseason for Mike Boone, and we don't even have a preseason. <laughs> Get to it. There's value Ian in the Colts offense, but we're kind of squinting to find the best plays besides T.Y. Hilton. Where are you going in Indianapolis? Paris Campbell, Naeem Hines, or do you like rookie Michael Pittman there? Where are you looking for that second value there in the Colts offense, which is going to be run heavy? Yeah, I'm not really prioritizing any of those guys. They're all cheap enough that you can kind of talk yourself into them if you want to. I would say Paris Campbell, gun to my head, would be the dude. I mean, you look back at what Frank Rice was saying about him last, uh, you know, April, May, and this is a direct quote from the Colts head coach about Campbell. He's making legit NFL, I'm going to be a stud receiver type plays. And that was kind of eye-opening because I think we always kind of view Campbell as more of this, you know, speedy, potentially gadget type guy, but maybe not as a true wide receiver one, but that's not exactly what the coaching staff was saying 
after drafting him last year. So won't be the case in 2020 with Hilton as the lead guy, but you know, Hilton get up there a little bit. We'll see if he signs his next contract though with the Colts. So could be sooner rather than later uh, that Campbell actually does get the workload to go along with his ability. In terms of uh, Pittman, I think Pittman and Justin Jefferson are kind of sneaky rookies that could feasibly lead their team in receiving touchdowns. I mean, both of them kind of have that size and contested catch ability that is missing elsewhere in their respective offenses. I don't know if he's even going to be out there to start the season, though. we got Zach Pascal there, who just seems like the type of incumbent starter who he's not going to blow anyone away, but he's good enough to you know, not immediately lose his spot, particularly in this funky offseason we currently find ourselves in. So I'd say Campbell... Ian, so you're basically saying that they have Zach Pascal, who's really just Alan Lazard, except in Indianapolis, right? <laughs> Pretty much, man. I mean, hey, both those guys, all the credit to him. But yeah, it's, it's going to be tough for Pittman to get there. And then for Naeem Hines, man, we hear Wright's talking about there's going to be games this year where Hines is catching 10-plus balls. I think the Austin Eckler comparisons are ridiculous. I mean, Eckler's in another world as just a talent. But, you know, Hines is their two-minute and their pass down back, and he's consistently been that guy. And he was even getting, you know, snap rates above 50% at the end of last season when game script uh, was calling for it. So I think the big thing we just got to realize it's going to be a three-back committee in Indy this year with Taylor, Mack, and Hines. And, you know, even if Taylor – beats out Mac sooner rather than later, it's like Hines isn't really going anywhere as that pass down guy. So I, I don't really see Hines having much standalone value on his own, but he kind of lowers the ceiling for Mac and Taylor alike. Question here from Dave and Lynnhurst. Who's the best receiving option on the Giants? Golden Tate's the veteran, high PPR floor. Darius Slayton had a really productive rookie season. Sterling Shepard, cheapest ADP. Evan Ingram, probably the most talented there, but at the tight end position, but has the injury concerns. Where are you targeting in the Giants offense? Who do you think is going to be the best player there? Yeah, I think right now you just kind of go cheapest. You go Tate and Shepard, and if you just look at only Daniel Jones' appearances last season, his two most targeted receivers we're Tate and Shepard. And I mean, if we, th- we think of Golden Tate, you know, just from his years with the Lions as this low ADOT uh, type guy that just kind of eats with yards after the catch, but he actually averaged more deep ball targets per game than Darius Slayton last season. And I know Slayton has a, you know, fun highlight reel and the dude flashed a lot last year. I think he's a good player as well, but with Slayton being the most expensive there, I'm just kind of going down the list. And it's what the situation I was a little higher on, I think, at the beginning of the offseason. But once, you know, the clapper made his way over there and he's doing his thing, I'm not, I'm not as convinced that the Giants are going to be this awesome offense uh, and this awesome passing game moving forward. I mean, you know, just one-to-one, I would rather take shots on the uh, Houston Texans receivers. I'm just more confident in Deshaun Watson enabling a uh, high-end passing game than I am Daniel Jones. And, you know, they're all kind of being priced in the same spot. But at the same time, both the Giants and Texans wide receivers are all kind of being priced near their floors as it is. I mean, Sterling Shepard, if he rises to the top of this thing and becomes the featured wide receiver one in New York, he could easily turn in, you know, wide receiver two, even borderline wide receiver one production. If he doesn't, he could easily turn in, you know, the wide receiver three, wide receiver four production he's currently being priced at. So the ceilings are there for all these guys in these unproven offenses and they're priced at their floor. So definitely a low risk and kind of high reward investments to be a part of. We're going with thank a teacher time. Right now, COVID, of course, schools, not knowing how it's going to go in September. Thought it'd be nice to thank a teacher. Give me a shout out here for a teacher in your elementary, middle, high school years that really had a good influence on you, someone you can thank here. Who's a, a teacher that uh, influenced you as you were going through your schooling years? Yeah, I go to uh, Mrs. Carvas, uh, Carvas back in the day. Tricky one to say. Uh, I had to take speech therapy classes for a good portion of my grade school years. I struggled wow. with uh, – wow. 
it was like R C H S H S, bunch of those noises, man. I, I, so my brain was working too fast, my mouth to catch up and I say half these words. But you know, it sucks being a kid and just not even feel feeling comfortable even being able to talk publicly uh, half the time. So a lot of years, a lot of grinding. But you know, without Mrs. Carvalho, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. So many thanks to her and all the other uh, speech therapy teachers around the world. It's a great call. Bo Jackson, very open about how he went through that as well as a kid. Absolutely. That's a great one. Bus time. Identify the player, Ian, in the top 10 in ADP at each position that you think could bust, has the highest bust potential here. So we're looking, let's start with quarterback here. Top 10 quarterbacks, of course, the solid guys at the top. But who are you hearing there that you see sort of in the top 10 around that area that you think, you know what, if things don't go right, they could really end up hurting somebody if they take them, take them early. Well, no one really takes quarterbacks early, but if you invest high draft capital or, or even mid-round in them. Yeah, I'm seeing Matt Ryan going like as the QB7 right now. I know. Man, I, I, I took him in Scott uh, Fishbowl. I know. I know. It's a terrible uh, pick. You're right. I, he's he's going to throw the hell out of the ball. Like, There's definitely a scenario where this dude throws in the upper 4K, clears 30 touchdowns on a bad Falcons team. But, you know, for limiting it to it's the only top 10 guys, I'm looking down to Matt Ryan and Drew Brees because those are the only guys that don't have a rushing floor. And I think it's pretty clear that, you know, Brees has the more – consistent uh, situation and his overall continuity going into this year. So, yeah, Matt Ryan would be that dude for me. He is a statue. And, uh, you know, getting up there a little bit, he, he looked pretty bad uh, coming back from that ankle injury last year. I still think, you know, I have Julio and Ridley, both in my top 12. And when that happens, I think it was like 74% of the time when a team has two uh, wide receiver twos, they also have a QB one in fantasy. So, I mean, definitely a path for it. But just among those top ten dudes, yeah, I think Ryan probably has the lowest floor. Yeah, he doesn't run. And I took him in the second round, Scott Fishball. I thought there was going to be a QB run, and there was not. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. He doesn't run, and you never know what could happen. It did not look good with the ankle. It's a great point. What about running back here in the top ten? So some people very polarized on Aaron Jones, but he's now going around RB12, RB13 area. So in those top ten guys, who concerns you the most? It's uh, it's probably actually Kenyon Drake. He's going at that RB9. I know I talked him up earlier. And, look, I, I'm buying him even with that risk because, like I said, I think, you know, looking at Henry, Mixon, Sanders, Chubb, Jacobs, Eckler, Jones, out of all those guys, Drake is the one where if things go his way, I think he has the easiest path to that three-down rule. But there's also a scenario where we open up week one and, you know, we see a situation where, okay, when Drake was there last year, both David Johnson and Chase Edmonds weren't anywhere near 100%. Kingsbury has talked up, you know, liking that they have three good running backs on the roster right now. And this is just more of a reason than any to whether or not you have Drake on your roster, scoop up Chase Edmonds at his current, you know, average draft position because Edmonds, his Best case scenario is this is a committee to start the year and he has a legit chance to seize, you know, a bunch of touches inside of what we figure will be uh, anyone's idea of an above average offense. And his worst case scenario is that's the clear cut three down handcuff for Drake, which, you know, is that Tony Pollard, Latavius Murray, that, you know, uh, role that we should be prioritizing. So there's, there's a scenario where Drake, you know, he gets that week one, like 50% snap rate, and we're like, what the hell, we paid for this. But there's also a chance he gets the 90% snap rate. So, again, I'm fine chasing that ceiling, but moral of the story here, go get you Chase Edmonds. Yeah, the variance there in Drake is high. I agree with you. I like him a lot, but there is variance and, and there is concern. Love Chase Edmonds late. You have no investment there, and you can get a huge return as well. I want to pivot here. Any concern with Miles Sanders? I mean, people started hinting that Devonta Freeman could go there. The offensive line is revamped, but they, they certainly are trying to recover. Brought back Jason Peters. Any concern with Miles Sanders in Philadelphia, or are you full steam ahead on the Sanders train? 
I'm full steam ahead. I have him one spot ahead of Austin Eckler, and you know maybe that could change after a few drinks or if they decide to sign. Freeman, <laughs> uh, excuse me, if they decide to sign Freeman or one of those guys, like you mentioned, but it's been this long. I mean, clearly they haven't. Clearly they trust the guy to handle it. Boston Scott will do his thing, but the stuff Sanders can do as a receiver, I think, is just uh, too great. And that's the thing with with him and Eckler. Even if they have guys stealing their early down work, I mean, you know, in PPR leagues especially. We want all the targets we can get. So the fact that these guys are such featured pass game targets, even though it is, you know, a slightly more muddled situation than we would prefer, uh, still buying for that target share. Wide receiver is interesting because you're dealing with some players there that get some polarizing opinions on social media. I have to tell you, I did projections, use the Rotoviz projection machine. I struggle to get DeAndre Hopkins to a top five stat line, given that I believe in Christian Kirk, given that I think Larry Fitzgerald always takes a part of the pie, and Drake's going to get receptions as well. But, of course, if Kyler Murray smashes, then everyone can be good. But I, I worry about yeah. Hopkins a little bit. Who else do you worry about? Maybe Mike Evans, Kenny Galladay. You know, still he's around 70, 74 receptions, but he always gets, as, as Rich Rebar said, those high-saturated fat targets. So maybe that doesn't matter. But top 10 receivers, who concerns you? Yeah, it's a fair point about Hopkins. I mean, I looked at every single uh, off-season wide receiver trade since 2010, and the only guy to get traded in the off-season and then turn in a top-12 fantasy season was Brandon Marshall. He did it twice. And, you know, I would say Hopkins, out of all those receivers, you know, maybe with the exception of OBJ, is probably the most talented guy to change teams. We've seen him produce so much with so many bad quarterbacks that, you know, even though Kyler is a drop-off from Deshaun Watson, at least for right now, uh, I'm still fine buying Hopkins as a top-five uh, fantasy asset. I'd say the two guys I'm more scared off of are uh, Chris Goblin and Mike Evans. Just because expecting both these dudes to again post top 10 fantasy production with a new QB and a new offense with a new high volume tight end. I mean, there's just a lot of concern here and they're, they're both great. And I see the, you know, path of success for one and or both of them. I mean, they are that good, but I just think the Goblin hype in particular, the way I see most people hyping them up, I mean, it's just, it's not even like really all that sensical there. It's like he, I think we overrate slot wide receivers in general and the impact. I mean, you're a good wide receiver. If you're a good wide receiver, you can line up anywhere on the field and win. And Goblin isn't going to have as many slot reps this year because of Gronk, because they're going to embrace a more two tight end offense. And that's fine. He is going to ball out. He is a great receiver. Um, Similar to Adam Thielen, I think we overrate uh, his stuff from the slot. But, you know, when we're assuming that because he has a slot role, he's going to be the offense's Julian Edelman and just, you know, vastly out-target Evans, that could be where we're wrong. So I just think we're treating both these guys as top 10 receivers. I think one of them is probably going to achieve that production, but the other one won't. So personally, I mean, I know I was talking down Goblin, but I do have Goblin as the top-performing guy. He's my wide receiver 10. I have Evans down there wide receiver 18. I mean, I just don't think there's going to be enough high-end passing volume in this offense to be two wide receiver ones and also a tight end one. And, you know, we're talking about the running backs doing things too. It's just like the same – same lesson we learned from last year with O.J. Howard. Like, be careful about projecting three high-end fancy assets from the same offense because it's going to be hard to pull off. You know, in tight ends, last position here. This is fascinating. If you look at FFPC best ball drafts and you look at consecutive picks, 86 through 91, that's six consecutive tight ends, which tells you all you need to know about the second-half tight ends there outside the first five. 
Gronk, Gasecki, Hawkinson, Jared Cook, Austin Hooper, Noah Fan, back-to-back picked in a row there. Who do you think is, is a potential bust? Because that second half, that tight end six through tight end 12, always is all over the place. The top guys we know, the top four are solid. But who do you think the guy that maybe is going in the top 10 latter half there that you think could really be a problem and could really hurt people if they take him? I'd even say top three solid, man. I mean, Ertz only uh, out-targeted Goddard. I think it was 60 to 55 yep. after Love Goddard. Yep. last yep. season. So uh, I would actually go with Tyler Higby, though, just in terms of the guy who's still going to bust. So I, I think even if Ertz doesn't get his 130-plus targets, I mean, I'd still be kind of surprised if, you know, his target total doesn't start with a one uh, next season. But Higby is the guy where, like, okay, when he was balling out, it's just going to be a different offense. Gerald Everett wasn't as healthy as I think uh, he wanted to be during that stretch, and that's why he just didn't play at all. Before then, Everett was the guy that, you know, was the great receiver. So Higby, I mean, I don't think they're going to just center the offense around feeding this dude. It was a nice little stretch for golf. So maybe I'm wrong, and, you know, you don't see any tight ends hardly put up the sort of production he did. So just knowing that Higby does have that Gronk-esque ceiling, uh, it, it helps, but man, like we're buying him to pretty much be that guy moving forward. And I think we just need to kind of consider this Rams offense. Like we have Woods and Cup going, you know, top 20. We're expecting a running back at some point to break out unless you're just really buying the McVay uh, committee uh, coach season off speak. And now we got Higby also producing top six. Like I'm, I'm good, man. I think that this is a team that very well could be on their way, you know, to a below average offense. The, screaming issue with the Rams offense last year was their offensive line oh, and all they line. added yep. to it was a seventh rounder man so it's you know again like, like I said before with Tampa Bay you know it takes a lot to go out there and assume this offense is going to have three high-end pass catchers and if I'm going to do it like I want it to be like a Dallas offense or you know Kansas City somewhere where we know they're going to be a top five scoring unit you know with a fair amount of certainty I just don't have that same level of confidence in the overall Rams passing attack definitely not enough to take you know a top six tight end stance on Higby yeah especially people love Cup people love Woods people love Higby yet they don't love Goff you know there's some consistency there so if you if you're going to do that you have to love Goff but I agree I think there's a limited amount I really like Josh Reynolds as well late I think he's a guy who for his ADP could actually do some things question here Jerry from Cleveland little aggressive email here in the mailbag rules, but can you please ask Ian why he hates Baker Mayfield this year? I get it that we're disappointed on last year. He was beyond a terrible offensive line. I think he can smash and make up for the debacle of 2020. So post-hype sleeper Baker Mayfield fan here, what do you think? Never hate players. I only hate ADPs, people. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, B- Baker was my uh, number one fade at the QB position. He's got like as the QB 15 right now and look baker yeah they fixed the o-line but i mean this dude was 33rd among 35 qbs and qb rating when he was kept clean last season i mean you know, maybe you can say he was just so spooked from getting pressure all the time that when he was kept clean he couldn't even do anything with it but you know stefanski should bring in more play action and the o-line is vastly improved but man we're expecting mayfield to go from just a bottom five quarterback in most metrics to just back into the top 10 because he is going to need to be a top 10 quarterback to kind of produce the sort of fancy numbers that we want. And I just don't think the, cause the volume's working against him. We brought us up with OBJ, but Stefanski, I firmly believe is bringing a run first offense to Cleveland. And even though I think the Browns in general will be a better team this year, I mean, Baker's going to need to just be out of this world efficiency wise to kind of put up this sort of passing stats. He'll need to be a fancy QB one. 
because his rushing threat is like Matt Ryan level. I mean, this dude has only cleared uh, 30 rushing yards, I believe, two of his career NFL games. There are, you know, their top five, their weapons, Jarvis, OBJ, Hunt, Chubb, Hooper, they're fine, but similar to the Falcons, like once you kind of say, okay, well, what if one of these guys gets hurt? All of a sudden, you're in a good amount of trouble. So, yeah, there's a scenario where it works out for Baker. The new play action just, you know, spikes his touchdown rate, and the dude gets back to looking like uh, the same guy we saw in the second half of 2018. But, you know, I, I don't think the O-line was the whole root of the issue last year. The other problem was just Baker not being the guy they drafted him to be. So, it's, you know, maybe he'll prove me wrong, but right now I have Baker, QB 24. I'm taking more proven quarterbacks like Jimmy G, Kirk Cousins, man, even Ryan Tannehill over Baker in fantasy. <laughs> I just think, I, I think Tannehill, he's got that rushing floor, Cousins and Garoppolo. We've seen bigger spikes weeks, uh, bigger spike weeks in more recent seasons. You know, I, I drafted Baker on a dynasty team recently. I'm not giving up on the guy, but I just think in 2020 uh, in particular, we're taking a lot, you know, a lot of leaps of faith to be ranking him in that QB 15 range. The time for redraft lightning round. Tell me which player you like better for redraft leagues at the current ADP. So we have Matt Ryan here. You mentioned him before, or Aaron Rodgers. God, man, I have Ryan as my QB fifteen, Rodgers QB sixteen. So oh. in a vacuum, in a vacuum, I would take Matt Ryan. But you know, due to the ADP difference, uh, give me Rodgers. Ian, very sensitive question for me here. Ronald Jones or Keyshawn Vaughn? Oh, man, I hope I don't piss you off, but I'm going Rojo season. Yes! Yes! There you go. All right. I'm happy I did that for you. It is interesting that uh, Ronald's like the only incumbent starter uh, that had, you know, a top three-round rookie that, you know, is still being uh, priced ahead of the dude. I guess that applies to Devin Singletary as well, but it's warranted. I mean, Rojo did enough good things last year to think that he could be the lead early down RB and you know while Bruce Arians did come out you know at the combine saying he wants his Edwin James or Marshall Falk three down back you know it's it's looking like Keyshawn isn't going to get an immediate chance to be that guy funky offseason Rojo man let's do it I remember the years in Arizona I remember when he had CJ to CJ 2k I remember Andre Ellington ahead of David Johnson I just think Ronald Jones gets the first crack if he falters, if he can't pass block, sure, we're in trouble. But suppose he does do a good job. He looks like he'll get the goal line touches in an offense that we like. I agree. Right now they're going pretty close. Rojo's creeping ahead of him here around RB33, Keyshawn at RB37. So I agree. I like the value. Asked it on almost every mailbag. Noah Fan, TJ Hawkinson, go. I'm going to know Fant, and I think they're both great players. They're both in positions for year two leaps. But Fant last year showed more. I mean, Hawkinson – Okay, he exploded against the worst tight end defense we've pretty much ever seen in week one. Didn't do much after. I mean, Fant is like one of only 10 rookie tight ends we've seen uh, since, you know, the, the, since the new millennial to average over eight yards to target as a rookie. I mean, rookie tight ends never do anything. So the fact that Fant was able to pop a little bit with his yards after the catch, with his general efficiency, uh, you know, I'm buying them. I understand his, his splits with Drew Locke like weren't great, but – also, look at the splits, man. He was playing hurt. Like, it was the only time all season he wasn't even playing over 60% of the offensive snaps. So, you know, I'm not really buying too much in that five-game sample size. I'm looking at the offenses. And in Detroit, it's Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, then maybe Hawkinson. Last year's Amendola. Wouldn't be shocking if Hawkinson, you know, makes that leap into becomes the number three pass game target. In Denver, it's Cortland Sutton. And then who? Maybe Jerry Judy, maybe Hambler, maybe Noah Fant. So I think Fant is one of these few tight ends that has a true chance to be the team's number two 
pass game option. While the Detroit passing game is probably a little uh, higher floor than Denver, I'm still a team fan. Uh, this last one I think is fascinating. So Leonard Fournette, and there's this stink around Leonard Fournette, of course didn't have a ton of touchdowns, only three total touchdowns, but the issues there with the with the general manager and with the coaching staff, etc. He went from 3.2 targets per game in 2018 to 6.7, had 100 running back targets fourth there. If you look at that in a vacuum, we should all love Leonard Fournette, one of the true three-down guys who catches it, is going to get the goal line touches, and is the dominant RB1. But there still is that sort of uncertainty around him. So compare him with Melvin Gordon over in Denver, signs with the Broncos. Philip Lindsay looks to be relegated a little bit. And Royce Freeman, I still believe, but Ian, he's, you know, he's sort of fading there unless he gets traded. Who do you like better, Gordon in Denver or Fournette in Jacksonville? I'm, I think it's MG3. And I don't even think it's particularly close. I mean, he's on a team that is happy to have him, that is happy to feature him as their lead RB. And, you know, I think we're assuming that Lindsay's going to stay involved, which is, is a safe assumption. But Gordon's always been the better pass catcher. So we're looking at a, you know, seemingly at worst two-back committee with Gordon being getting the lead pass down work. And I think the inverse is true in Jacksonville. I don't think Fournette's going to come anywhere near 100 targets again. And it's because of Chris Thompson. You know, we always joke about the dude being hurt all the time. He's played at least 10 games in five straight seasons. It's not like the dude just incapable of staying on the field. And with Jay Gruden calling plays there now, man, only Austin Eckler and Christian McCaffrey have more targets than Chris Thompson weeks one through five last season. Like, this is going to be a true two-back committee, I think. And God forbid, you know, this Jaguars offense just keeps not really doing all that much. We've seen Fournette have these issues with the front office, as you brought up. It just seems to me like a situation where, like, why, you know, we, we got our 2019 season. We got that super high volume, three touchdowns. It worked out. PPR RB7 year. I feel like we're getting greedy going back and expecting that again. And, you know, he gets the goal line touches, but as uh, Graham Barfield stated uh, when I was podcasting with him recently, how many goal line touches are even going around on the worst team in the NFL anyway? So, you know, it's be, be, be careful about taking these uh, players from just the clear cut uh, from teams that seemingly have no intentions of trying to win. I know the Jaguars players, I would never accuse players of, you know, actively trying to tank. It's too physical of a sport for that to happen. But, you know, what has this front office done other than pissed off, like, all their players that want contract extensions with the exception of Miles Jack. So I think Gordon, uh, Gordon's floor is not, like, just pretty much quitting midseason like it is for Fournette. You a sitcom guy, Ian? You got a favorite sitcom or two that you watch? Yeah, man. I uh, I just finished Community, which uh, really cracked me up, especially the first couple seasons. I've been going through uh, Silicon Valley recently into season three, which I'm loving. I would say Seinfeld is the goat. I still love the one, the Merv Griffin one, where he, where, where oh, Kramer God. sets up Merv Griffin. Is, I don't know. Dude, for some reason, that one always cracks. Surprise for you. <laughs> And he's staring into his door. You know, I feel like that's off oh stage. Yeah, exactly. God, I love that exactly. Give me this year's running back, wide receiver, rookie lottery ticket. Rookie you think has a shot to pay off it, either right away or maybe like a second-half guy. I think the rookie wide receiver one that we got to look at is Mr. Henry Ruggs. And, you know, all these rookie wide receivers are going really cheap this year. I mean, you can get Ruggs pretty much in the wide receiver 40, wide receiver 50 range. But just looking at all these guys, like it's him and Jalen Rieger that have the true chances to emerge as their team's number one pass game option. I know Derek Carr these last two years has been feeding, you know, Darren Waller, Jared Cook. 
But we don't have to, you know, go back to the early 2000s, those Tampa Bay and even the first uh, version of the Raiders offense when Gruden was there. We had Joey Galloway, Tim Brown, Keenan McCardell. These dudes were eating 130-plus targets per season. I think the day, you know, Gruden does not want to be featuring tight ends every single week. I think there's a reason why they spent those top three-round picks on pass catchers. There's a reason the first one went to Henry Ruggs. I know the dude's a field stretcher, and some people are like, well, you know, cars and throw it on field. How is that going to work out? Pull up some Ruggs highlights. You'd be surprised how many times that dude could just take a slant or a bubble screen to the house fast enough with those design plays to make all sorts of noise. And, hey, you know, I've been one of the more critical people out there on a Derek Carr's style play, but it would make sense that once you finally give the guy an, uh, a potentially elite D-Jax-esque field stretcher like Ruggs, it could help open up the entire offense. Yeah, Raiders following the mantra there in the AFC West, can't beat him, join him. They're going to try to copy the Chiefs, and Ruggs is going to be a <laughs> mini Tyreek Hill. I agree. Get the weapons and, and see what happens. Go ahead. Give me your, your truther. Who's your truther guy? Loyal truther for who here? We've asked this every time. Love those guys. Evan's living with uh, Rex Burkhead still through and through. I'm still jumping off of D.D. Westbrook. Burned me too much last year. But who are you a truther for? I got a fun one. I can actually claim like real early Kyler Murray truther status because in 2017, Ohio State was playing. You can check the Twitter receipts. Ohio State was playing Oklahoma. Baker got hurt. And I, I went to the Twitter world and I said, no, no, everyone, this is not good. Kyler Murray is better than Baker Mayfield because I, wow. I had seen that dude running around at Texas A&M. And I was like, who the hell is this quarterback that is also the fastest guy in the field? So I definitely enjoyed cashing that like plus 2,500 Heisman ticket for Kyler in 2018. Wow. So uh, wow. I'm definitely, definitely excited for Kyler. Uh, less, you know, more of a realistic truther status. I wasn't the number one overall pick. Uh, man, could the Bears get my guy, Cordero Patterson, some more touches, please? Like, at what point can we get dudes like Riley Ridley and Tariq Cohen off the field and give the actual beast that leads the league ever in the history of the game in yards per rush attempt, best kick returner ever? Oh, and, hey, the only team to ever give Cordero Patterson at least 60 touches in the season oh, won, the there Super, it is. won the Super Bowl, the 2018 Patriots. So no reason why you can't scheme – five to ten touches per game, two great players, and Cordero Patterson is anyone's idea of a great player. He's the president, folks. It's on his Twitter handle. He had great <laughs> stuff, man, as always. Last question, then I'll get you out of here. Your Mr. Prediction, PFF, podcast, everything you got going on, give me the bold prediction. Give me something that you think is going to happen this year. Yeah, I'm going Adam Thielen, uh, PPR wide receiver six, and that, that is my exact ranking for the guy. I, I am confident that we're going to see this dude blow up. And you know, I mentioned it like, Three times already in this podcast, but the Stefan Diggs, 94 targets. I, I think it's kind of skewing people now. And we have, for the first time ever, Thielen in a situation where he's going to be the undisputed wide receiver one in his own offense. And it's not like we have to go back very far to see him balling out on this team. In 2018, he had 113 catches, 1,373 yards, nine touchdowns on 153 targets. Yeah, Kubiak's there now, but same QB, less competition. And Kubiak, okay, let's look at the guy's entire coaching career and not just 2019. It's wide receiver one averages 138 targets per season. I mean, Andre Johnson, Demarius Thomas, Rod Smith, these dudes had massive seasons under Kubiak. Guy is not just an RB1 whisperer, also has the wide receiver one. I think uh, similar to Tennessee, I mean, if you just look at the playoff teams from last season and, you know, you, you try to expect a couple of them to fall out, 
Tennessee, Minnesota are two run-first offenses that I think just based on not having the same sort of amazing game script uh, moving forward could be forced to throw the ball more. Two guys that are going to benefit most from that, Adam Thielen and Mr. A.J. Brown. Folks, Ian Harditz, he covers so much here. He's got the information just starts flowing. I just got to wind him up and let him go, and that's what he did. <laughs> Ian Harditz, I mean, just unbelievable. Great to have him on the show. Just a reminder, Rotoviz Radio listeners, you can receive 10% off on a one-year Rotoviz subscription. Apply the discount code 2020RVRadio at checkout. Go to rotoviz.com slash podcast for further information. Ian, thanks so much for joining us today. From PFF Pro Football Focus, listen to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. Does an amazing job. Got to check him out on Twitter at Ian Hart. It's always interacting. We're waiting for the helicopter, man. You drop those helicopters in, and I'm running to my DFS lineups, that's for sure. Thanks so much, Ian. Awesome work, and we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you having me on again, man. This was fun. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and at Randall Rant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.